Hi, I'm Alex Rakeen. I'm a barrister at Thurgood Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity law. And I'm really glad today to be joined in the shed by David Mason. Um, anyone who's ever watched or listened to one of these before will know I'm really keen on the person I'm speaking to introducing themselves rather than me trying to do it for them. So, David, over to you, please. Tell, tell us about yourself. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, David, so I'm a third year going into my fourth year PhD student at King's College and I'm supervised by Professor Francesca Happy, and my research broadly looks at autism, ageing, quality of life issues. Brilliant, thank you. And um, that was admirably, admirably succinct. Um, the reason why I was really interested to, to get you in the shed is I heard a fantastically interesting presentation you gave to the conference a couple of weeks ago, kind of thinking about autism and decision-making capacity. So can you just sort of um, as it were, explain to us, well, maybe not as it were, rerun the presentation, but just give, a, give us a sense of the flavour of the work you're doing and, and then, then we can sort of take it from there. Yeah, so we've, we've done a mixed methods project and it's still kind of partly ongoing. Um, and I think it's less in the, deep in the sort of capacity territory, it's more just to investigate where autistic people find it difficult to make decisions and what might be related to that. Um, because you meet autistic individuals who can you know, function quite well in a number of, or you know, outstandingly well in a number of different life areas, but they have real challenges with very specific aspects. And then you've got people who would sort of fall under the capacity aspect. Um, and it's really just to find out actually also where are autistic people good at making decisions, because that might help inform decision making support for other people. Um, but also where could we do something to help autistic people where they do struggle to make decisions. So just give us a sense of, so you're saying mixed methods, just give a sense for someone who's never had to kind of think about this at all. Um, how would you, how would you think about what, what have you been doing? Yeah, so that's, we started off with some qualitative interviews. So we actually got two research assistants to interview 25 autistic people, just broadly about their experiences, you know, what does difficult, what decisions do they find difficult? Where do they think they're good at making decisions? And from that, we designed a quantitative survey where we asked people to try and say you know, on a scale of not to 100, how stressful is this decision, that decision. And then we sort of supplemented that with some psychometric measures, so like mental health, um, how much they like to maximize, like how much they need to find out information. Um, and we also gave people the opportunity to share their life experiences and say, you know, this was a particularly difficult decision or this is where I've, I've actually supported other people to make decisions. Um, so the, the sort of mixed methods is a quantitative number-based approach and then a more open share your experiences sort of approach. Yeah. So, no, thank you. That was really, really clear. So just in terms of kind of the headlines in terms of, well, let's just think about, uh, before thinking about things which are difficult, let's think about, it's actually nice, I think, maybe to start with things where people felt they were strong or identified mm -hmm. themselves as strong. Can we sort of just sort of dig into that for a little bit, please? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, this, this isn't a, a novel finding in our literature, uh, in our study, but it sort of agrees with other studies that where autistic people are good at decisions is kind of where things involve information finding mm -hmm. or where it involves breaking down a problem into very simple components to analyze sort of the kind of, I guess, logical or rational thinking styles or, or ways of approaching a problem um, seem to be what people in our sample were saying and what other studies have found is that kind of detail-oriented, detail-oriented focus yes. can actually be a real strength for autistic people to make decisions because they can break things down in a way that somebody less detail-focused might not. 
Um, and then once that sort of problem is disassembled, they can tackle each chunk of it and, and, and do what they sort of need to do or make the decision they're trying to make. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, were they giving, were, were they in people who were um, the subject to study? So that sounds extremely depersonalized, but you know what I mean? The people who you were talking to or in other ways, in other ways engaging with, were they highlighting? So, I mean, that's a kind of abstract level of decision. Were they able to give kind of concrete examples of things where you know, this is the sort of decision you know, I feel yes. stronger about. Yeah, so it's it sort of, it's an interesting field because it's always quite varied when, it, I mean, people in general are varied, but I think autistic people tend to also be maybe slightly more variable in their life experiences or circumstances. Um, so it would range from, you know, um, sort of finding a new job would just be really researching every possible job they would be suitable for, going and finding every company they would want to work for, finding out the, some of those, you know, finding the values of that company so they, they would align with the person's values. Mm-hmm. Um, researching, you know, how to write the best cover letter, which might involve visiting dozens of websites, talking to people or emailing people, and really, you know, trawling through and processing and synthesizing a lot of information to, to maximize their chance of success in, say, finding a new job. Um, or similarly, if it comes to, you know, moving home, um, we had, uh, you know, some people would say they, they'd travel to a different end of the country and they'd walk the streets using Google Map to actually plan out, do I feel safe in this area? Other shops are convenient walking distance away. What's the public transport like? You know, often, often a considerable cost, but that kind of diligence, I guess, of, of mm-hmm. really going through the options and really exploring things and really not wanting to make a rash decision to avoid, the, I guess, the consequences of jumping in too quickly. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see that. I can see that. If, I don't know whether it's appropriate, but in my mind, the phrase hyper-rational is coming to my mind. This idea of really, you know, as you said, nailing down every piece of relevant information. And also, I thought that was very interesting also, just what you said about tracking through the kind of the foreseeable consequences, trying to gain the kind of the different consequences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even sort of down to creating spreadsheets with budget forecasts in their sort of personal life, not necessarily in the, the moving home context, but just in life, at, you know, if, not in this project, but it, I guess it's sort of relevant as I've met some autistic people who have, you know, a, a spreadsheet per bank account and they forecast their finances up to three or four years in advance under the assumption things will stay pretty much the way they are and just really having that level of eye for detail of knowing exactly, you know, this is my um, splurge fund where if, you know, if I want to go out and treat myself, and when that runs out, I won't do it until yeah. it fills back up and those sorts of forward planning. Yeah. So sort of flipping the coin a bit to think about those situations. Well, it, I, well let's, let's, let's take it in stages. Is it, was the study flagging up, it was the type of decision or the type of circumstance under which a decision needed to be taken, which might be causing difficulties, or was it a combination of both? Yeah, I think it's it's it was a combination of both the qualitative work that um, a master's student did a really really good analysis on was there's the the, the context is important um, in the sense that you know if something's time critical or time pressured, which again is probably true for everyone that nobody likes to make a big decision in a short space of time, but there might be certain other cognitive characteristics that make it additionally difficult for autistic people, and it can really sort of ramp up anxiety, which is a common co-occurring condition in autism and it just suddenly makes it immensely difficult to um, process that information you know where if you have time and space you can really just sit and 
sort of nail everything in place. But when that becomes disrupted by time or um, if the decision's more forced on externally rather than kind of mm -hmm. internally selected, one of the things we found was um, a, a self-generated decision is much easier to see through than you must make this decision now. Um, and, and that can really just, I'm not sure what the best way to phrase it is, but really kind of come undo the, the, the person's abilities to think in those ways, that would usually be very beneficial. Um, but in another, it's kind of veering back into the strengths, but it has an interesting overlap mm -hmm. is what one or two participants said, you know, if I, if I have to make someone else make a decision, I am really good at that. You know, I can help them talk them through step by step. This is what you need to do. Da, da, da. But when it's the same decision applied to myself, it, it suddenly becomes such a different experience because I guess it's more salient to the person and it's it's easier to detach and see the other person in an objective way. But when you try and apply that to yourself, it becomes very difficult. Um, yeah. And again, yeah, mental health was a big thing about, you know, when, when, when someone's anxious, particularly, it, is very difficult to make a decision. Um, and some of those strategies that are strengths, I think can sometimes be a way to try and regulate the uncertainty that's inherent in the world. Um, and I guess the more kind of structures you have in place, it tries to minimize that role of uncertainty, but when that kind of is unavoidable or can be very difficult, um, it really does have a negative impact on how these, how some autistic people can make decisions effectively. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really glad, and I know I know this has been a real theme of the research. As you were very clear, just to then say some autistic people, because this is obviously it, it, this is not the level of generalisation about all all autistic people. Um, no, yeah, because no. I think that, that there are some I've met who, um, in my earlier research career, um, and this didn't come up in the interviews, but it does show the sort of variability. There was one person who had every minute of their day accounted for in a, in a diary, and I just mentioned that to the next person I interviewed, and they were like. I, I could not live like that because if something's meant to start at 10 and it's 10 or one, that hour now, I just have to wait and I can't, you know, I couldn't bring myself to start. So it's all, even that thing of plan your time works for some people, not, not others. Yeah. Um, Which in a way goes back. I mean, I really like the fact that when I was sort of probing you a bit on, on what the study was showing about situations of difficulty, you were instinctively coming back to, well, what are the strengths in terms of, you know, the strategies for management and, and that's sort of interesting that it's it's the extent to which the person identifies which things work for them. Well, either which things work for them or which things create more anxiety so that then, and that obviously has to be highly personal. Yeah, certainly. Um, and again, it, it, it is very individualised. I mean, there's, there's, I guess, consistent stress as across the sample that we've we've investigated. So one of the ones we asked was a, a, a social gathering, a voluntary social gathering. How stressful would you find that? And that's quite consistently, again, not for everybody, but is quite highly rated as a stressful place to be. Um, and again, without generalizing to everybody, you know, a lot I don't know, percentage, but I'd imagine a large number of autistic people might find many social gatherings quite aversive and maybe would choose not to go. You will get people that do choose to go, but then it's how do they regulate that when they're there? Do they kind of have a budget of time that they say, okay, I'll stay there for two hours and then I'll go. Um, and it is it is that journey of discovery, um, you know, when, when, when you are, or when you get a diagnosis or you're diagnosed as autistic, it can be that self-discovery of, well, what works for me? And then people really sort of take the time and effort to structure their lives around those things. And it really seems to work for a lot of people. 
Yeah, and as it goes back to that that point, which really struck me that the, the in what you just said about um, the distinction between a decision being forced on me and a, a self-generated decision, and of course, so much of so much of the life of people who are in some way dependent on the state is never going to be down to self-generated decisions. It's always about reacting to other people's decisions. And, you know, we need a decision of you right here, right now, or mm-hmm. in a very short space of time, do you agree to this? Would you accept that? And I was wondering whether any of the things that you were researching were flagging up anything which could be done in terms of minimizing the impact of that. In other words, I mean, framed in pure mental capacity act terms, which I appreciate is as it were a subset of what you're thinking about, but in pure mental capacity act terms, that obligation to support the person to take all practical steps to support the person so i'm just trying to think of if you've got someone who isn't the individual who is saying i'm aware that i'm a point where i've got to tell this person or i've got to essentially seek a a decision of this person any of the things that you're researching which might sort of give tools for other people to help that's we're trying to extend our recruitment of autistic people because we didn't get as many as we would like Um, i think I haven't, I haven't looked at our data with that specific lens, but I imagine certain things like, you know, where possible, allow time for the person to think, process the information. If they have to work with someone, um, try and, I guess, maybe help them familiarize that with that person. Because I guess when you know somebody and you know that you can trust that person, it's easier to then offset the kind of, um, maybe if they understand that you communicate atypically, it, yeah. it avoids crossed wires. Because I think sometimes when you don't sort of do what a, whatever natural conversation is, it can kind of make it difficult to understand each other. Um, so there is some research on autistic people communicating with other autistic people versus autistic people and non-autistic people. And often autistic person-to-person communication is quite pleasant. It, it kind of flows smoothly or, it, or it's generally a, um, more, more effective. And it's when you've got that maybe not understanding the other person's communication style. Um, that's where some of the problems come in. Just to sort of flag up that actually it's not inherently the autistic person's problems or they don't cause the problems all of the time. It's a communications a two-way street. Um, really? I think even, even allowing alternative forms of communication. So some people would be able to really engage with things like demonstrate they have capacity if they could correspond via email or even just in in written format in person um because then you're not relying on trying to socially manage your presentation and also explain to someone that you do have the capacity to to make a decision or you're trying to demonstrate you can think things through clearly yeah and of course just as you know as you know it, it, it and as you know about it's telling the way in which you framed that was that the autistic person has to demonstrate they've got capacity, which is, of course, how it feels like it pans out in the real world. But it always needs really the other way around, which is the person who's going to say, I'm going to proceed on the basis you don't have capacity. Mm-hmm. It's for them to establish it. But I think it's quite telling that, that and I suspect this probably came through in, in, in the research as well, is that the feeling is I've got to show, you know, it's for me to show I've got the ability to make this decision, which is, as I say, just legally the wrong way around, but how it, mm. it always seems to track out in practice. But actually, I was just trying to think, because sadly, the, the, the sadness of these things is I get fascinating insight into something and then have to say we're almost out of time and we are nearly out of time. But I just kind of want to get a sense of where you're going next with the, this research, because, I mean, this sounds really 
it sounds fascinating and I just sort of I suppose I'm always incredibly practically minded and thinking well where's it going and what can it you know what can it help with yeah so I think the the quantitative analyses we did show there might be something like personality variables that in, interact with a decision-making style so we looked only at avoiding decision-making but that's probably very salient for I guess high pressure situations you mm -hmm. might be more likely to avoid a decision so we found like how well the person can tolerate uncertainty um, was quite strongly associated with anxiety and avoiding decision-making so even in terms of um, I guess sometimes if you work in an area you take for granted how familiar you become with processes and if the person isn't aware of exactly the, the steps they have to go through that adds that uncertainty in which could really impact someone's ability to make uh, a kind of I guess proactive or, or, or be more proactive about engaging with a decision so I guess anything that could sort of streamline that uncertainty would be really helpful you know these are the steps almost like a flow chart if this then this if this yeah. then this and, um, but where we're going with it is we would like to collect some more data from autistic people talk to more and autistic people about their experiences and we'd like to try and package up our results into something where we can kind of say based on our sample and what we've asked people this is what other people could do to to make decisions easier um obviously with the caveat that we haven't been able to reach many um i guess autistic people who aren't able to take part in research themselves so we normally call them lacking capacity and we've spoken to parents a little bit, so we do have a very small amount of data we can maybe try and, and also make some recommendations on. Um, but we're kind of just trying to really rethink or, or think through the analysis really carefully to make sure that we're pulling out the best lessons we can to share with people about what can we do to make this aspect of life easier for, for autistic people. I guess it will probably parlay out into any group, really. I mean, the, there's a study from Bath where they looked at how to make job interview techniques more autism-friendly. Mm -hmm. And they actually found that when they applied it, everybody did better, not just the autistic people. But it, 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 so what we're learning could probably help other groups more broadly as well, or we'd like to, to hope. I'm really glad you raised that because I think it's, it's, it's such an important aspect that if you get how to deal with you know, potentially complex decisions or potentially complex matters, difficult, you know, easier for a group who, for whatever reason, have been identified in some way as difficult. I should say, I'm not saying autistic people are per se difficult, but for some reason there has been an identification. There are always these mysterious spillovers, and you realise that actually everybody has found this complicated. They just have thought, every, they thought that's just how it was, as opposed to mm -hmm. actually there's something which could be done here. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think it is, I and mean, I'm really glad you've identified there is that obvious, obvious kind of whole or lacking voice in terms of the, the, the individual who's more who's in a position where they can't engage in research in the same way and it's, it's I mean it's, it's a, as you say it's just such a perennial concern in relation to research and it's such a perennial concern in terms of how do you can is it are you hearing that voice vicariously through somebody else and you know all of those matters but at least if you can at least if you can push in awareness that there's there's a, a group you're still hoping to reach and then you know these tools might assist in reaching better so david that's brilliant thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it I, what i will do is i will put a um, a link on the bottom of the page to the group um and then hopefully in due course well not hopefully in due course when this is the publications are out i'll make sure that there's a link to that as well yep. so thank you very much indeed for your time david yeah no thank you for having me